All right, good morning, church. Every week, the room gets a little bit more full, a little bit more full. It's great to see everyone here in worship this morning. My name's John Vanderveld. I serve here as the executive pastor. As Matt said this morning, our senior pastor is on sabbatical this summer. And I realize that for some of you, that brings a level of disappointment. I get it, right? Like, you guys love Kelly, okay? <laughs> I love Kelly. Uh, I sat in the, in the chairs in the pew, back when we had pews, for a number of years before I came on staff. And I came to Glen Ellen Bible Church because, in large part, because I, I loved Kelly. I loved his preaching. I loved his leadership. I loved his friendship. I loved his pastoral influence in, uh, in my life. And so I get it. There's a little bit of disappointment uh, that he's not here uh, this summer. I also realize that for some of you, maybe you're excited to hear a new voice for a few weeks. And uh, I'll be taking the bulk of the, the preaching duties this summer, and maybe, maybe you're excited to, to hear a new voice. Maybe it's just eight of you. Maybe, maybe six of you have the same last name as me. I, I, I get it. I get it. I was actually meeting with uh, another pastor a couple weeks ago, and that pastor said, all right, well, you, you know, you're, it was actually Kelly and I were meeting with him together, and he said, well, you know, your senior pastor's going on sabbatical. He's like, let me give you uh, some advice. And I was like, great, you know, I'll take anything, right? And he said, you know, a, a, a preaching, a sermon is like serving a meal. You, you pick out what you're going to make, you gather the ingredients, you cook it or bake it or fry it or whatever you're going to do, and, and then you serve it to your family, the people that you're charged with leading and shepherding and, and caring for. And he said, you know, people come back because, and, and are a part of the church because of that meal. They, they're nourished by it, right? They're, they're fed by it. They, they grow from it and, and they sort of get used to, you know, the meal that the, that's being served. And occasionally, you know, a meal gets overcooked. Occasionally it gets burnt. Occasionally it's, you know, not that tasty, but for, in large part, you know, the menu remains pretty consistent. He said, you know, occasionally, you know, you order out, right? Gets a little spicy. The youth pastor gets into the pulpit. But for in large part, you know, there's a, a, a consistency, a meal that's being served. He said to me, don't be the spicy food. <laughs> don't be the spicy food every week. He goes, clearly, you can't be Kelly right? You can't be Kelly. You need to be yourself, but stay on the same menu. Stay on the same menu. So I'm going to do my best to serve a, a meal similar to what we're all used to uh, each week. I ask for your, your care, your love, your support as we go through it. You guys are one of the easiest uh, groups of people to preach to, and so I'm excited for the summer. We're going to jump into uh, Colossians this summer. We are out of the book of Luke, we have finally made it, 80-something weeks, and so we're going to jump into uh, the book of Colossians. We're going to do kind of a deep dive uh, this summer into, into Colossians. Colossians is a short letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. And uh, the letter is one that people say, scholars will tell you, is one of the most important letters ever written which to me seems like a valid reason in and of itself to study it, right? Like, 
one of the most important letters ever written. And they, they say that because the letter to the church in Colossae, the letter of the Colossians, the book of the Colossians, really clearly and thoroughly lays out this idea that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that Jesus Christ is supreme. The supremacy of Christ is clearly and thoroughly written about in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossians. And so because of that, it's, it's one of these most important letters ever written because it so thoroughly explains that topic. And what's interesting is that the letter not only has meaning, right, to that church in, in Colossae, to the believers there, it also has meaning for us today because I don't know about you, but I need to consistently be reminded of the supremacy of Christ. The idea that Christ is enough, right? That he is sufficient. Our series title is called Greater Than. And the idea comes from this idea that Christ is, is greater than anything else that we would put our hope in. He's greater than any idea. He's greater than any power. He's greater than any government. He is the greatest. The greatest thing that we could put our hope in. So I want to give a few kind of introductory remarks about the letter of Colossians before we jump in. Anytime you start a series, right, you got to do a little bit of intro. So we're going to do a little intro this morning. The first thing that we need to recognize is that the letter to the church in Colossae, this, this book, Colossians, it was not written to us, right? It was written to a church in Colossae 2,000 years ago. And although it wasn't written to us directly, it was written for us, right? All of Scripture, everything in this book is God-breathed, right? It was selected as part of God's Word for His people for all time. And so although it wasn't, wasn't written to us, it was written for us. So there is something for us to learn. And my job this summer as we go through here is, is going to be to, to help us pull out some of those ideas, those ideas that meant something to the church in Colossae, but they also ideas that mean something for us today. So we're going to work to apply an ancient letter written to a different audience, but written for us. We're going to work to apply that to our lives this summer. That sound good? Secondly, there's some major, major cultural things that are happening in the world at this time. Things that are not happening in our world at this time, but, but there are some similarities to what's going on. It's, so it's important for us to understand this letter was written at a, not only to a certain group of people, but at a certain time. And so some of the themes, some of the tone has to do with what's going on in the world at that time. So Paul uh, addresses things and confronts things and alludes to things that are happening. He, he addresses power. He addresses heresy, idolatry. He talks about freedom and hope and faith and love. And while he does that, it's important for us to, re to remember and to recognize two important things. When I talk about culture and context and things that are happening in the world, the first one is this. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. We don't know exactly where he is in prison. Most people will say that he's writing from Rome and he's imprisoned in Rome. And so it's important for us to recognize that, right? 
Like a letter that comes to you from somebody that's on vacation is different than a letter that comes to you from someone who's in prison, right? There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of uh, imp- like importance. There's maybe some uh, frustration in the person's life when they're writing from prison versus when they're writing from you know, vacation or while they're traveling or something great that's happening in their lives. So we, must, we, we need to recognize that Paul is writing from prison. The second thing that we need to realize is that Paul is writing to a city, to a church that is under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was bigger and more massive and more influential than really we can wrap our minds around. Rome ruled the world for 1,500 years, right? Four million square miles of territory was under the influence of Rome. So Rome is like everything in these people's lives. Rome brought peace and security. Of course, there were little wars and skirmishes, but in in large part, the people lived, although they they often felt oppressed, they lived under in, in security and in peace. Rome also brought roads to all these towns and villages scattered throughout their empire. And so people were able to interact with and communicate and learn new ideas because of these roads that the Roman Empire built. Often people explain it like how we got the internet. The internet gives us these ideas, and, right? Things that we can communicate and talk to people. That was what roads were like back in that day. All of a sudden people could travel and interact with people. So two major things that are going on. Paul in prison and number two, Rome. Rome, the empire and the influence of Rome is going on. All right, the third thing as introduction. I realize that every single week, the eight minutes that I just gave you, I could do every single week, all right? Like people don't come to church every single Sunday sometimes, or like new people come, or like we need to introduce the, and I don't want to do this every week. Like, I don't want to introduce, I have to do this lengthy introduction. And this is a letter to the Colossians, and the Colossians is small. Put a map up on the screen, all right? So what we've done is we've made a website, or a page on our website, gebible.org slash Colossians. It's under the sermons tab. There's a little uh, link that you can go to there that gives you a bunch of resources about the letter to the Colossian church about what's happening, about the history, about what we know and what we don't know, about what scholars think and they don't think. There's, I'll be honest, it's a little bit like showing you some of the ingredients to making the sausage each week, okay? There's a lot of information here. I'm giving it to you in hopes that if you want to learn more about what's going on, if you want this kind of introduction and some of the history that's going on, that you'll go to it uh, go to this website, and then you can learn some more about what's going on. Now, of course, there's going to be times throughout the summer where we'll do some introduction, and we'll talk about what's going on and all that. And if you never go to that website, you'll still enjoy uh, and can still learn something here uh, each week. I just want the freedom to be able to jump right into the text each week. Does that make sense? Everybody doing okay? All right. Uh, let's, let's jump into today's passage. We're going to look at the first eight verses of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is part of the introduction to the main letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians. And he, in this introduction, he, does, he says to the, 
to, to the, the listeners, he, he offers three things in the introduction. First, he, he wants to tell them what he's thankful for, all right, what he's thankful for. And then he wants to tell them what he's praying for, and then he's going to tell them what he's doing for them, all right? So thankful, prayer, and then what he's doing for them. And this morning, we're going to look at the, that first part, the thankful part. What is Paul thankful for? Let me read the text for us this morning. Paul, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as, it has, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned from Epaphras, our, fellow, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and, also, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. All right, so this morning, there's just three application points I want to make from this, these first eight verses, and then we'll be done for today. Now, clearly, clearly from the writing of this letter, we know that there are holy people, right? God's holy people living in Colossae. These are people whose lives have been changed, lives have been transformed by the gospel. And Paul calls them holy people, children of God. So there are, there's holy people in Colossae that he is writing to. A missionary had, had come had shared with them the gospel. They heard the good news about Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he died for their sins, that he was resurrected, and that they can now be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. All right? Now, Paul, so, so these holy people in Colossae have been transformed by the gospel, and Paul hears about their lives. He hears about what's going on in Colossae. In prison, he has heard about what's going on there. The news of their, their faith in Jesus and the news of their, their love, right? I have heard about your faith and your love. A love for all of God's people is evident in the people, the holy people in Colossae. And that's the first point that I want to make this morning. The first point I'd like to make is that the transforming work of the gospel in our lives produces love. When we're transformed by the gospel, it produces the fruit of love. This is what was recognizable in the church in Colossae. This is a, a supernaturally empowered love. Verse 8 says, love in the spirit. A deep, powerful, special love that these people have in their lives and towards the people of God because of what the gospel has done, because of the transformation in their lives. It's important to recognize that Paul points out here that this is a love for all of God's people, right? The saints, fellow believers, 
So we should have love for all people. But Paul is pointing out here specifically that if you've been transformed by the gospel and you have faith in Jesus, that you should have a deep, supernatural love for the saints, for the church, for the people of God. The transforming work of the gospel in our lives does not produce hate. The transforming work of the gospel in our lives does does not produce frustration or anger or bitterness towards the people of God. Faith in Jesus should produce love, a, a supernatural love, love for others. It doesn't produce bitterness or scorn or frustration or embarrassment or anger. Jesus' words in John 13 are helpful for us here. Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so Paul is seeing this fruit of love. Jesus recognizes that if we love one another, people of God, that everyone will know. They follow Jesus. They're different. They've been transformed because they love one another. So if your disagreement with a fellow believer on issues of money or politics or educational curriculum or COVID or masks, whether to wear them or not, if that causes you to grow bitter or angry or frustrated or hateful towards the people of God, I want, I want to encourage you this morning to, to do a heart check, right? To, to check ourselves here a little bit. Like if that's what we're, we're feeling towards the people of God, we need to be very careful because 1 John 4 verse 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We should check our hearts here because this is, a, this is a big deal. Transformed by Jesus produces love for the people of God. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy, right? Love is not easy. Love is a process. Love takes time. Love takes effort. Okay, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but honestly, truthfully, one of the ways, and maybe a primary way, that we grow in our love together is by gathering here, by gathering here together. Like, this is, this is about love, right? This is about learning to know each other, to love each other, to hear from one another, to share what's going on in our lives, to, to raise our hands and sing and praise together. Guys, we don't come here just and simply to praise Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what the gathering is about. But it's also about us being a community that's connecting with one another, that's learning about each other, that's growing in our love for one another. We express our love. We, we pray for each other in these awkward and vulnerable moments, right? 
That's about growing in love and building the church up in love for each other. So if your disagreement with or your frustration with or your disappointment with the church, with the people of God, has moved you to give up on the church, man, my heart just breaks. My heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for you because being with the people of God, being loved by this group and loving each other in this room, man, that, that's where it's at. Like, that's what gets us through, right? The people in this room who know what's gone on in my life, the struggles I have raising my kids, and the job losses that we've faced. Man, that's what, where it's at, is being with and growing in love for the people of God. So it's, it's now where, you know, I could give kind of this really hard-nosed line of like, get back to church, right? We heard that last week from Kelly, right? But guys, that's not what I'm concerned about here ultimately. This isn't about people who have kind of taken a pause or checked out because of, of COVID. The truth is, is that the, the, the slump in church attendance or the lack of making church a priority in people's lives was happening way before COVID. And COVID just accelerated that, right? The, the idea of other things being more important than building and growing in love with the body, the, putting other things before that was happening way before COVID. I see this problem expressed when people say things like, my relationship with Jesus is complicated right now, so I'm taking a break. My relationship with the church is in a timeout. Guys, people are prioritizing all sorts of things that they, they love or they care about over church. Their personal feelings and hang-ups often get in the way of them coming to church. I've heard things like, church is now my, my front porch, or church is being with my children, or churches on the sidelines, or churches on the bike trail, or churches in the wilderness, or churches a good glass of wine with my friends in the living room. Man, those are all great things. Like, I love all those things. Like, that's great. But being together and listening to one another and sharing with one another and caring about each other in this room or and in this church is where we grow in our love for one another. Augustine said, church as father, or sorry, God as father, church as mother, right? The two are not separated. God as father, church as mother. All right, second takeaway, second application for us this morning comes from verse five. Faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So faith and love come from this, this transformation that happens in our lives because of the gospel, right? Jesus transforms our life, and so we have faith, and that's expressing itself, and it's bearing fruit in love. But also, it springs from a hope stored up for us in heaven. And what does that mean? What is Paul talking about here? 
when we're transformed by the gospel, when we come to faith in Jesus, we have this, this hope, right? This new hope, a new kind of hope, a, a true hope. This isn't like a whimsical, like, well, I hope so. This is, this is an assurance, a, a true, lasting, meaningful hope in our lives. Absolute assurance that God is going to do good for us in the future. More specifically, that we have this hope that we have a place in heaven with God when we die, stored up for us in heaven. The life that we live here on earth is, is not it. It's not the end, right? We, our home is in heaven. We have a, an eternal home in heaven. Because of Jesus Christ, we can be fully reconciled with God, spend eternity with him in heaven. This hope, this assurance that through faith in Jesus, we can reconcile fully with God and spend eternity with him springs up in our lives faith and love. In this life, if we remain loyal to Jesus, trusting in him and following him and serving him, life will not be easy. Life is not easy because of Jesus. There's going to be sacrifices and trials and persecution that comes our way. But we endure, right? And we thrive and we grow in faith and we grow in our love for each other. Because we have this hope, this hope springing up in us. So as we walk through life and we face disappointments and trials, we're continuing to move forward and we continue to grow and we continue to love because of this hope, this unexplainable hope that we have because of Jesus and what he's done. This kind of hope that through Jesus we can have eternity with God is it's radical, right? It's, it's different than anything that had been explained to the Colossians before. Church, their hope was in Rome. Their hope was in Rome. Rome had brought them everything they needed, peace and security and connection and community. Paul is writing to say, that's not it. Don't put your hope in Rome. Put your hope in Jesus so the question for us today, where is your hope? Where is your hope? As you move through this life, where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus? The treasure stored up for you in heaven? That no matter what you face, what you go through, you have someone with you? Hope, an unexplainable and deep hope that just springs up in your life, produces faith. And love. All right, as we move to our third point of application, let me read for us Colossians 1 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. If we, if we pause and we, and we contemplate and think about that verse. This is one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament. 
This is one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament because it tells the church in Colossians and it tells us today that we are not alone. That we are, we are part of this, this world-changing movement. We're not just this little church on 501 Hillside in downtown Glen Ellen that's just kind of on an island all by itself. And we're part of something that's, that's world-changing, that's going forth and changing people's lives. Just, he's, he's explaining that just, just like how the gospel has transformed your lives and given you this hope, it, it's, happening, it's happening everywhere. It's going out everywhere. It's changing cities and lives and people everywhere throughout the whole world. It's, it's bearing fruit wherever it goes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get really stuck thinking that the gospel has transformed me, right? Like Jesus lives in my heart. <laughs> like that's the, the purpose of the gospel. Or that the, the gospel is here in this church, right? And, or here and hopefully in this county. And, and I've, I need to be reminded that the church is not just something that's here that I can own and know and contain, but, but there are churches in jungles <laughs> all over the world. There's churches meeting in deserts. There's, there's churches meeting in secret in the largest cities in our entire world. And those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel is going out all over the globe. There's not a country in this world that doesn't have holy people of God meeting somehow, somewhere. Guys, we are part of something that is changing and has changed and will continue to change the entire world. Isn't that encouraging? We're not alone. We're not just doing our little thing here and hoping that people's lives are better. Like we are part of something, that, the Jesus movement. And Jesus is on the move. And I want to be a part of that. I want to see more lives change here in Glen Allen and all over the towns and cities that we live in, in our neighborhoods. I want to be part of this, this Jesus movement. Guys, I think the time is now. This covid stuff that has locked us away and caused all this harm and disarray in our communities. Man, let's be the church that now enters in and has those conversations with people to say, there's a hope that you can have outside of yourselves. There's a man named Jesus, and he came and he died to save you from your sins. And you can have a hope in him. Come and be a part of this world-changing movement, Right? That's what this letter is encouraging, this, this little church, Colossae, that's trying to figure out what's going on. He's telling them, guys, you're not alone. You're part of something that's huge, that's taking the world by storm. Let's remind ourselves of that today, right? We're not alone. We're not alone. I love how verse 3 says, thanks be to God. Paul says, we always thank God. Man, everything I've said this morning, it all boils down to God. Thank God, right? Thank God I can have this hope. Thank 
God that he sent Jesus to rescue me. Thank God that he's changing the world. Thank God. This is nothing that Paul has done. This is nothing that the Colossians have done. This is what God has done. We need to thank him. Thank you, God, for what you have done through Jesus. That he is greater, right? That he is sufficient. That he is supreme. All right, enough for today. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what you have done for us through Jesus. God, I thank you for this little church in Colossians, in Colossae. I thank you for this letter that your servant Paul, an apostle, wrote to this church. I thank you that it has meaning for us today. God, I need to be reminded of the hope that comes through Jesus. I need to be reminded of the people of God gathered everywhere, that I'm a part of something that's changing the world. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this letter. God, I pray that this morning as we sing in response that we'll lift our praise to you, that we will thank God, thank you for what you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.